Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Former Trump advisor Steve Bannon puts the White House on blast and President Trump returns fire. The president taunts North Korea with the size and power of America's nuclear arsenal and the vice president's club makes a surprise appearance on Capitol Hill. This is the State of America Tonight. Steve Bannon really unloading on the Trump family. The president's former chief strategist says that Donald Trump Jr.'s meeting with the Russians at Trump Tower was treasonous. There's clearly some score settling happening in this book. Steve Bannon telling the author they're going to crack Don Jr. like an egg on national TV. President Trump asserting that his nuclear button is much bigger and more powerful than North Korea's. He goes small, he goes trashy, and he goes cranky. Donald Trump's Twitter diplomacy is dangerous, and for anyone to assert otherwise, I think it's just crazy. Hello, I'm Mia Malika Henderson, live in New York, in for Kate Baldwin. To our viewers watching around the world, this is State of America Tonight. In Washington and beyond, there's a feeling of change in the air. Changes that could have a lasting impact on Pe- and President Trump's domestic and foreign policy agendas. And in a bombshell report, a change in tone from a former member of Trump's inner circle who was once described as an architect of his presidential campaign. And that's where we'll begin tonight. Steve Bannon is now taking aim at his former boss's son in a new book. That's, and this book is appropriately titled Fire and Fury. In it, author Michael Wolf talks to a slew of Trump insiders, including the former chief strategist who slammed Don Trump Jr. over that much scrutinized meeting with Russians months before the election. A reporter from The Guardian got a preview of this book and dished on some of the palace intrigue. Steve Bannon really um, unloading on the on the Trump family in a in a quite uh, astonishing way, um, saying that uh, you know he thinks Don Jr. will be put on TV and, and cracked open like an egg. Uh, that, uh, that that as you mentioned, that meeting in June 2016 was was treasonous and, and unpatriotic. Now let that sink in for a second. A former Trump. A former top aide to the president uh, says that a meeting that the president's son had with Russians was treasonous and unpatriotic, a stunning charge and one that could have some lasting influence. There are few people who had as close of an inside view to Trump world to have him put his characterization of what he saw in that meeting on there uh, clearly has some impact and, and weight in a way that somebody from the outside, uh, those words would not have. Bannon went on to question the action of Team Trump once that meeting was over. When Bannon says here, I think it's so interesting at the end of the quote uh, that he gave to Michael Wolf here that he should have told so they, somebody should have told the FBI. Mm-hmm. I do think that is a question that continues to hang over uh, what uh, Paul Manafort and Donald Trump Jr. and uh, Jared Kushner were thinking. Now, the top Democrat 
Now, the top Democrat on the Senate Intelligence Committee has that exact same question. When some of the emails started leaking out, uh, the Australians had at least the common sense to recognize that they needed to turn that over to the FBI. It's a little disturbing to me that the Trump Organization didn't have that same line of understanding of what our law and principles are all about. But we do kind of know what Trump Jr. was thinking, sort of. In an interview last summer, he said it wasn't that big of a deal. I guess he and Steve Bannon are going to have to agree to disagree on that point. And there's someone else who disagrees with with Bannon, and that's President Trump, who lashed out in a quite lengthy statement, notably not on Twitter, saying, quote, Steve Bannon has nothing to do with me or my presidency. When he was fired, he not only lost his job, he lost his mind. Steve doesn't represent my base. He's only in it for himself. Translation, buckle up, folks. But that's not the only change that President Trump probably has on his eyes uh, today is uh, as there's another one uh, that has to do with communications breakthrough on the Korean Peninsula, where for the first time in two years, North and South Korea actually had a conversation. On Kim Jong-un's orders, North Korea placed the phone call. South Korea picked up the phone. Officials in the South tell us that they spoke for about 20 minutes about the technical issues, the communication link itself. Then there was a follow-up call also placed by North Korea later in the day. On that call, the North Korean officials told South Korea that business for the day had concluded. So So while Kim Jong-un and President Jae-in were playing nice, President Trump was in a decidedly different mood last night, taunting Kim's claim that the nuclear button is always on his desk by tweeting in part, I too have a nuclear button, but it is much bigger and more powerful one than his and my button works. That's from the President of the United States. For those of you playing along, keeping score at home, just a little clarification here. Neither President Trump nor Kim Jong-un actually have a nuclear button. Things are just a little bit more complicated than that, but those are details. The President's words uh, drew a swift response from uh, Democrats who'd probably welcome a change in Trump's Twitter habits, but good luck with that. You know, Anderson, we're two days into the new year and Freudians all over the world have already had the best year. I guess the president regards this as a show of strength. But as, as, as everybody who's ever been in a you know, first grade playground recognizes, it's usually the person who's most aggressively pounding their chest that is, in fact, the weak one on the playground. We're very happy to see that there's conversations taking place between North and South Korea. What we need is diplomacy between the United States, China and North Korea to supplement that or to lead that. The only reasonable solution to the North Korean crisis is through diplomacy. And the president's tweets make that more challenging. And the former top intel official says it isn't just diplomacy that's at stake. There are potentially millions of lives at stake, an untold death and destruction here. And uh, to me, it's very, uh, very disturbing. No one in the White House knows what is Kim Jong-un's ignition point, where one of these tweets is going to set him off and he's going to hit that button. Now to Capitol Hill and a change that could give the Democrats a boost in Congress. Doug Jones, the newly elected senator from Alabama, he was sworn in officially today along with Minnesota's Tina Smith, who replaces former Senator Al Franken. Jones's addition makes the Republicans slim majority, majority even slimmer. And he got an assist from a former member of the club, former Vice President Joe Biden. Welcome back, Senator. Good to be back. 
And Biden wasn't the only VP on hand today. Walter Mondale accompanied Smith, while Mike Pence swore in the two new lawmakers. And now for his part, Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell, dealing with this new slimmer majority, tweeted his congratulations, saying he looks forward to working with Jones and Smith on bipartisan progress. And with Jones now in town, uh, the Senate balance of power is now 51 Republicans and 49 Democrats. That is some difficult math. That is, of course, until the midterms, which, if you're counting, are a little over 300 days away. Now, no doubt that uh, we can expect probably more changes then. Senator Mitt Romney, anyone? So it's come to this. President Trump is now at war with his former chief strategist, Steve Bannon. Why has the Trump-Bannon relationship gotten so toxic? And what happens next? We're going to bring in White House reporter Caitlin Collins, who's in our D.C. bureau. Caitlin, you had the president today really fire back at Bannon in a lengthy, lengthy statement, notably uh, not on Twitter. What did he have to say about Bannon's claims? Well, he was firing back after Steve Bannon told someone that he believed the meeting that Donald Trump Jr. took with the Russian lawyer at Trump Tower in the summer of 2016 was not only treasonous, but also unpatriotic. And that clearly didn't sit well with the president. And in this lengthy, fiery statement, which is worth reading in full, he really dismissed the role that Steve Bannon played in his campaign, despite the fact that he ran the campaign, and also dismissed the role he played in the White House, though he was there for seven months as the chief strategist. And in part of this statement, he, the president said, now that he is on his own, Steve is learning that winning isn't as easy as I make it look. Steve had very little to do with our historic victory, which was delivered by the forgotten men and women of this country. Yet Steve had everything to do with the loss of a Senate seat in Alabama held for more than 30 years by Republicans. And of course, Nia, there, the president is referring to the loss of Roy Moore to Doug Jones, the first Democrat to be elected to the Senate from Alabama since the 1990s, who happened to be sworn in on Capitol Hill today. And the president is referring to that because not only Steve Bannon did a lot to get him elected, but it's worth remembering that the president himself endorsed Roy Moore in that campaign and even came right outside of the state line to campaign on his behalf, telling a crowd full of of Alabama residents in a Florida arena that they should vote for Roy Moore. But we've seen these ups and downs in Steve Bannon and Donald Trump's relationship before, even when he was in the White House and the president saying that he was his own best strategist. But we're really seeing though that relationship hit a new low with these comments, because after Steve Bannon left the White House in August, the president said thanked him for his service. He later said that he he liked Steve, that they had a good relationship. But with this statement today, it seems as if anything but that, Nia. Yeah, things are really uh, different at this point. Caitlin Collins, thank you so much. A fear of poisoning and impatience with hair dye. There's more to Michael Wolf's reporting than just the president's feud with Steve Bannon. Our panel gets into the juicy details up next. U.S. immigrants study the Constitution to pass a test for citizenship, but the current U.S. president had to be briefed on America's central legal document by a campaign staffer. And he was reportedly too bored to pay attention past the Fourth Amendment. That's just one of the shockers in a new book 
on the Trump administration by journalist Michael Wolff. And the president is already responding with a pretty explosive statement. And I'm going to bring in uh, my panel here, John Selleck, who was uh, the former chief of staff for Senator Max Baucus and a partner at the Holding Holdingham Group, Caitlin Huey Burns, a national political reporter for Real Clear Politics. We've got Susan Del Percio, a former official in Rudy Giuliana's administration and the director of Susan Del Percio Strategies. We also have Steve Rogers, a member of the advisory board for the president's reelection and a former lieutenant commander in the U.S. Navy Reserve. Welcome, everyone. Uh, this article, about 18 pages, uh, when you print it out from New York Magazine. I'm going to start with you, Caitlin. What struck you most in reading what we have so far from this book that's coming in. There's a lot in there. I mean, the overarching theme is that uh, this was a White House that had no idea what it was doing then, and I think that we're seeing the results of that now. Um, I think the the Steve Bannon elements are highly significant given uh, this fraying relationship and the potential that it has to spill over into public view. Uh, it already has. It's been brewing for a while. Um, the way in which the, the also the Guardian uh, excerpts from this morning. Um, talking about Don Jr., talking about Jared Kushner, the way that Bannon talks about them implicating, seeming to implicate them in this Russia mess. I think that is something that really irks the president. And I think we saw the response today, of course, from the administration, which was notable. I think this is going to kind of continue to move on. The question I have, too, is how, how are Republicans and campaigns going to operate in this kind of environment with all of this drama going on? And remember, a lot of these campaigns uh, sought endorsements from Steve Bannon right. and hoped that he would kind of buoy them. And uh, this, this fracturing, I think, will be interesting to watch as that plays out. Steve, what do you make of how Republicans will or should respond to some of these revelations and Bannon's uh, sort of role in the Republican Party. Well, to begin with, the Republicans that at least I've talked to, and there are many of them, are going to stick with the president. Steve Bannon is going to sell a book. This is what it boils down to. You know, when he uses words like well, treason. Michael Wolf's book. Oh, Michael okay. Wolf's book, yeah. okay. But when words like treason are being used, that's pretty damning. And, and I've got to tell you, uh, th there was no intent on anyone's part to commit such an act. It'll sell books, Okay. But uh, the, the thing that I'm amazed over is that the Mike Wolf, he interviewed some people, obviously. I wish he, he interviewed a ton of people. Well, he 200 interviews, out. the president but, was one of those Yeah, but he should have went out and interviewed the middle Americans that were campaigning for the president. I was campaigning for the president. And to suggest in one uh, area of this book that the president didn't want to win, wasn't that part of this uh, whole scenario, too, that the president was shocked that he, that he won? This man worked so hard for this country and for anyone to suggest that he did not want to win and that his heart wasn't in it, you know what? They are out of their minds. And on that, I will agree with the president. Susan, what's your take? Well, there's a few things at play. Um, first, when we look at it, yes, I think those excerpts were there to really provoke the president. That's why they were released. This is the most salacious stuff that we'll probably see in the book. That's what usually happens. The issue of how it affects the campaigns is a really good point because... Steve Bannon was out there doing the recruiting. We know Donald Trump doesn't put a lot of work into a lot of things, so he's not out there recruiting candidates, nor should he be, frankly. But now candidates have to decide, are they going to go with, with Steve Bannon or Donald Trump? Now, I have to say in the back of my head, part of me thinks, like, could this all be some grand, like, game that the two of them are playing? <laughs> yes. You mean Bannon, Bannon and Trump, and the president. Kind of it could be. And here's what will tell me, and I think reporters and most Americans, to see how big this riff is. Does Mercer, 
who's a billionaire Republican donor, stop funding Bannon projects. If this riff is real, that's what we'll see happen. Bannon won't have anywhere to go because no one's going to be funding him. The president can stop that cold in its tracks. And what does this mean, if anything, to Democrats other than just kind of good reading for you? Well, I mean, it's obviously deeply disturbing, right? Because you're you're looking at a portrait of a White House that's completely dysfunctional, and they're in charge with, of running our government right now. So, from that perspective, it's it's troubling. Politically, though, I mean, this is a portrait of a totally out of control and crazy operation. And so, from a political standpoint, this is just another log in the fire for the Democrats. I, I, right? I think you're looking at a different picture than I am. To suggest that the White House is dysfunctional—that's not true. Well, that, that's not just the picture I'm looking at. Well, that's the picture that most well, Americans are looking well, no, at. Right not now. most Americans. Okay, this man just had the, the most significant tax reform bill in the history of this country passed. He's rebuilt our military. The economy's booming. The stock market is at record high levels. How do we say that that's dysfunctional? Well, because here's, here's where the dysfunction lies: is that we see it in the with what we see in the polling. Yes, actually, Americans agree with you. The con economy is doing well. They will not give Donald Trump credit for it. On the cultural battle, it seems like there's a lot of disruption and a lot of problems within this White House. They're achieving things in spite of the, the, the chaos that they are creating, because they create it on a daily basis. Yesterday, the president put out 16 tweets that had huge, inter deep international consequence. And he did it at the flip of a Twitter switch. And who says it's and a I'm going to bring Caitlin in. One of the things that was interesting about this statement is the end, essentially, you have Trump siding with Republicans in Congress and saying bye-bye, mm -hmm. Bannon. What did you make of that? Well, he does have now this new relationship with Republicans in Congress because of that tax bill. It remains to be seen, however, you know, some of them are going to want to get as far away from him as possible if it benefits them politically. Some, and depending on the states or districts they're running in, are going to still endear themselves to him. It's going to be a very complicated relationship heading into this midterm year. Tax reform is probably the last big item that they were able to achieve. Remember, as of today, uh, it is a razor-thin margin uh, in, in the Senate to get anything passed. I think the big question, though, is, you know, how many more distractions are going to come? And these are self-inflicted. Yes, they passed a big tax bill. Yes, the economy is doing well on paper. Yes, there are all these things that the president can point to as successes. But he continues to get in his own way. And Complicating everything. We're going to talk more about this uh, in the next panel. Uh, coming up with all the, new, all the news coming out of the White House, don't forget that things are happening down the street, too. Congress is getting back to work with a slightly different cast of characters. One forty-nine is a pretty is a pretty tight majority. That was Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell speaking there, and with today's swearing-in ceremonies, the U.S. Senate now officially has two new members. No more empty seats, and absolutely no room for defections. We'll get back to the panel. Uh, slim majority here, John. I'll go to you on this. What's in it? You heard Mitch McConnell talk about bipartisanship. What's in it for Democrats to play along with, with uh, Republicans? Well, look, I mean, I, th I think if, if Leader McConnell or the president want to offer Democrats uh, things that they want, uh, you're going to find Democrats willing to do some deals around immigration, around infrastructure, 
but I think the track record is pointing to a different outcome for 2018 because, you know, it's one thing to say that you want to do bipartisan deals. It's another thing to actually do the difficult things in order to make that happen. And that means giving a little bit in, as well as getting. And do we see Mitch McConnell doing any of that difficult work so far or President Trump I don't, I don't moving th- towards bipartisanship? I don't see how it happens. They have to keep the government running. Other than that, that's about it, because if you think if you're Mitch McConnell right now, the map was originally, the Senate map was looking so good for you. Now you're at 41, 50, uh, 41, I'm sorry, 51, 49. And here's the problem with doing something, I think, for Mitch McConnell on immigration, which should be easy. But he's got two primaries out in Arizona and Nevada. Now, he has... Now, the Republicans who are there would like to, the moderate ones, the Mitch McConnell ones, would like to see something happen. That'd be good for them. But they're going to have to run so far to the right. So anything that Mitch McConnell gets done, like, for example, Heller in in Nevada, Mm -hmm. is going to find himself in a whole lot of pain come a Republican primary. So it's going to be very difficult, even on something like DACA, where I think most of the Congress is, to move that forward. And, Steve, the president seems to be a bit torn on DACA as well. Yeah. Listen, he has a heart. He has a family. I believe that he's made it pretty clear that he's certainly going to stand by a lot of the principles that he laid out during the uh, election. But he's also a great negotiator. He, he will sit down. And, and I think the, we may be surprised and see some sort of marriage with the Democrats on this. The fact of the matter is he doesn't want families torn apart, but he wants the law to be obeyed. They're going to find the middle ground where I believe everyone's going to be satisfied. And, and Caitlin, what's your sense here? I mean, if you look at all the things that could get done, infrastructure, mm-hmm. uh, DACA, entitlement reform, what do you think is most likely to come out of this Senate? Well, I think the thing that's facing the most pressure besides government funding and the things they have to do is DACA, because you're going to have real-life impact on people come the spring. Um, and this is, going, this is a very popular issue, right, uh, on, on both sides. What the president and Republicans are looking at, though, are the president's approval rating is very low. You can say what you want about it, but traditionally that has an impact on midterms. Midterms are always a referendum, usually, I should say, always a referendum on the the president. So they are facing these headwinds no matter what. And Democrats on everything so far have seen no political incentive to cross the aisle. Remember, tax reform was... In the beginning, a bipartisan was was of bipartisan yeah. interest, and he uh, thought he, he did, did Claire McCaskill and Heidi Hill. Exactly, people like, and they didn't cross. John, I want to. I want to. I'm going to bring John in quickly about Doug Jones. Is he going to be a reliable vote for the Democratic caucus if he's looking at Alabama and trying to get reelected there? Well, look. I mean, having worked for a senator from a red state before, you you know you you pick your battles, uh, but I I don't see him crossing the line on anything like entitlement reform. Right. Uh, You know, I think that's just pure fantasy. And, and, you know, unfortunately for Mitch McConnell to get most legislation through the Senate, you need 60 votes. And so just getting Doug Jones isn't going to get you very much. Which is why he is talking about bipartisanship. I wouldn't wouldn't depend on polls. You've got to depend on the pulse of the country. And it's in his favor. In Trump's favor, favor. even though his approval rating pretty low. According to the polls, but not to the people. I'm John, Caitlin. Uh, We thank you, uh, Susan and Steve. Uh, And a reminder, just up next, we'll have the White House briefing, and we'll bring that to you live uh, just as soon as it gets underway. This is day 349 of President Trump's administration, and that's the State of America tonight. Check out our podcast. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or your favorite app. We'll see you right back here tomorrow.
When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.